From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hey, Mary Beth, guess what episode this is? Is it 69? It's 69. Hey! Hey! And welcome back <laughs> to Little Cuts, our weekly mini Are we digging the things we've been consuming recently. I'm Terry. Wait, we're recording the 69th episode on 420. Uh, we sure are. Six- <laughs> I'm Mary Beth. Hitting all the quadrants. <laughs> Mary Beth, I I did I am celebrating the high holiday, so if I sound like a goofball, that's why. Um, <laughs> I'm Mary Beth again. <laughs> Sorry, you threw me off. That was incredible. Totally unplanned, oh, but I just, just happened to notice beautiful the number. Oh my god! And I just on four twenty is incredible. Um, but anyway, this week we are talking a lot of YA, a queer a YA, YA adaptation, a YA detective novel, a gay, a YA gay horror book, and then a tale about a stripper and a religious protester. You know, just gotta <laughs> spice it up a little bit. And then a folklore devoid of penis monsters. Yeah, 
I am a little angry about that last point, yeah, but um, I, as am I, which we'll get to because I was. We'll get to that. <laughs> Uh, but okay, before we get into it, just really off the top really quick, I rewatched The Night House and I, it hit me so much harder than the first time I watched it. And that movie Did is it? so fucking incredible. The end. Okay, good. Cause I've been wondering about that because like, I, I enjoyed it. I gave it a good review, a positive review, but I didn't, it didn't hit me in a way that I was expecting it to when I first saw it. Yeah. I, and I watched it again because I was, it's on HBO Max and Hulu now, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to give this another chance. I don't know why. Like, I liked it, but I don't know why it like, didn't resonate with me. And this time it really hit me as like a really fucked up tale about your worst fear as a person with depression and the person that was like kind of like your primary caretaker and like your support and what happens to that person when they're trying to save you from your own mental health. And mm. I hadn't watched that with that perspective the first time I watched it. And this time it just like punched me in the face. I'm also going through a depressive episode, so like that might have been <laughs> that might have been part of it. Me too. But yeah, it, it hit me in the face this time I watched it. So revisit, well, like revisit it if you can. Maybe not when you're in the middle of a depressive episode, just because it's like it does not do you any favors in terms of like making you feel better. But yeah, I, I think we're both kind of struggling right now. It's uh, <laughs> choo choo struggle bus, struggle bus city Wait, right choo-choo, now. Choo choo struggle bus, whatever. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, struggle train just does not have this. Oh, it kind of does, maybe. A little uh, bit. Mm, a lot little. as much as struggle bus, though. Mm-mm. Um, but anyway, what about what is this queer YA adapt? Wait, queer YA adaptation. <laughs> Got it. You did it. Okay, so there's this graphic novel that started coming out in 2018 that I did not know existed until uh, Netflix announced that they're adapting it and it's coming out. uh, Well, the day that this episode drops, it's called Heartstopper. I've seen this in my local comic book store. Well, I have the book because I bought it after. Oh, I love the cover. It's so cute. It's adorable. Pretty. I bought it after um, I I heard this was coming out, but I didn't want to read it yet because I wanted to, uh, um, you know, go into it like unblemished. I don't know if you can see. Oh, I love the style. The, yeah. Um, illustration style. So it's based on a book by her name is Alice Osman. 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 Okay. I'm not 100% sure. I apologize um, if I got that name wrong. It started out as a webcomic, got popular. She's published four volumes oh, of the story. Cool. Um, she also is the creator of the Netflix series and wrote. I think all of the episodes, I didn't pay attention to the end of all the credits, but her name was on a lot of the written by credit part. And it's a story about uh, this teenager named Charlie who has been out for a year and the previous year was tough for him. He was like bullied and he spent a lot of time hiding out in his teacher's classroom. And he had this, I'm going to use, I'm going to say boyfriend, but in very loose quotations, this guy named Ben, who was like, seeing him at school to like sneak kisses and kiss him, but didn't want anyone to know that they were dating. And then when this season opens up, he kind of in a very TV 14 way, um, sexually assaults him in a way like he pushes on him and and starts kissing him after Charlie said no. And he keeps trying to do it. And his gay, beautiful people. Oh, 
Sorry. I know. I'm just looking but at that's okay. So that's the thing. So then Charlie also meets this kid named Nick who is on the rugby team and he is attracted to Nick. He thinks Nick is the bee's knees and he doesn't know if he is straight or if he's not straight. And Nick sees this happen with uh, Ben pushing himself on him and he comes to Charlie's defense and throws him off and says he's going to, you know, kick his ass if he ever comes near Charlie again, that kind of stuff. And they strike up this, this friendship, this unlikely friendship between uh, Charlie, who is like, you know, super, super adorable, super gay, super out and um, someone who is trying to figure out his sexuality and where he falls along the spectrum of sexuality. Meanwhile, one of Charlie's friends um, is a trans woman who started out. So they're at, okay, the schools, it's in England. The schools are segregated by gender. So they're at a boys school. She has, he had a friend who was a trans woman, but was at the boys school. And now she is starting her first year at an all girl school. Oh, okay. And so we kind of follow both of them and their friend group. And Nick, who gets involved, and Nick's friend group, because Charlie ends up joining the rugby team because he's a really good runner. And he's doing it because he is like a love, love Lauren puppy dog chasing after Nick. And his straight best friend doesn't think that this is good for him. And he follows along anyway. And it's so it's just like it's eight episodes, 30 minutes long each of kind of them figuring out what if they're friends, if there's something more there. And it's incredibly charming. It's incredibly heartwarming. But there's like a, a darkness underneath with that. Like it, it it doesn't it's not just frilly. It has like some meat to the bones where it I think it's better than a lot of young adult adaptations I've seen recently because there is some kind of like meat to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm sorry. I found the webtoon and I'm just like quickly scrolling through because it's all online. Mm-hmm. And wow. And I read the most recent one because I whatever. And I'm like, this is so tender. It's so tender and sweet. But it's not like saccharine. It's like this mm-hmm. really, oh, I'm obsessed. Holy shit, I'm so excited to read this. <laughs> this looks so good. Yeah, I, I literally I literally jumped out and bought the, the first book. And I haven't read it because like I said, I wanted to approach the Netflix series on it as its own thing. I don't know how different it is from the book. Um, I'm assuming that it, it's probably similar in some way, simply because it's written by the creator of the book. Oh, I love so, that though. Like you said, I'm like really, that's exciting. But yeah, so the series is on Netflix as of today. It's really good. I want everyone to go out and watch it and be, have their heart flutter. Cause it's. Is it beautiful just, and gay? Do they lean into it's the beautiful, beautiful gay? gay? Okay, perfect. Oh, they lean into the beautiful gay in a TV 14 way, but they lean into the beautiful gay. You know, you never know if they're going to sanitize it, but I'm glad that for TV 14 gay, they lean into it. That makes me no, very happy. No, there's all sorts of sexualities on display here. Hell and it, yeah. There is a lot of smooching. <gasps> and it's really good. Okay. Wow, I'm so excited. Gay. It made me cry. Oh. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so stoked. And it's something that I really hope that um, Joe Lipset talks on his uh, YA podcast. I'm hoping that they cover it because they like to cover, you know, books that were for young adult and then the adaptations. So I think this would be prime for his young adult podcast. Uh, And then what I if you're listening, Joe. My book I read this week would also be good for his YA podcast. How's that for a fucking transition? I love that transition. I love that for us. What is this? 
Okay. Uh, yeah, why a gay horror? So this is My Dearest Darkest by Kayla Cottingham, or Cottingham. So this is the book I tweeted about where I said mm-hmm. I was looking at another book of Barnes & Noble and a very cute bookseller came up to me and she said, do you like sapphic horror? And I was like... So I was curious, wait, uh, did she just come up to you just out of the blue? Yeah, because she saw I was looking at another book. I think that's similar. It's like a it was a YA okay. like female written and like based book, and I think she saw me looking at it and was like, "Do you by chance like sapphic horror?" And I was like, "Yes, I do." Hello, and my she's name like, is Mary Beth. <laughs> I have the perfect book for you, and she took me to a display that said "Wild Wilder Girls," which I haven't read, meets the craft with a splash of it, and I was like, "I will be purchasing this, and I will be reading it." It's good. I haven't yeah. finished it. I have not finished it yet, but it it is all of those things. Like the craft and it, it is if the two of them had a baby at a, a really expensive preppy art school, uh, art boarding school in on an island in Maine. Hell yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it's like, it's obviously YA. So it's written with a kind of a little bit of a younger audience in mind. So like, mm-hmm. keep that in mind. But like, bisexuals, lesbians. Black characters, women wearing hijabs, like, and it's like, it's just like a diverse book without it being like super, like trying to like pigeonhole it all in. It's just like a book, uh, like one of the kids, Simon, uh, one of the friends, he's a cryptid enthusiast and has a channel about, a YouTube channel about cryptids. And so it's just like hitting all of my favorite things of all time. There's also some cosmic horror going on. Like it is just mwah. Chef's Kiss, so fun to read, and I'm so glad that my Barnes Noble friend and angel brought it to me, because I think it's, like, one of their books of the month, or it's, like, one of their spotlight books, but okay. highly encourage you to check this one out. Um, it also, so the main character's name is Finch, and she um, goes, has, like, a mysterious car accident where a stag with eight heads stepped out in front of her parents' car and caused their car to fall into a river and she dies, but something brings her back to life and now her hair is oh, white. Shit. Her hair is white. Her skin is incredibly pale. She barely has a heartbeat. Like, wow. all this weird shit. And I haven't gotten to the bottom of it yet, but then there's a ghost that they talk to that might not be the most um, friend, like, might be not as friendly as they think in the tunnel, like the catacombs of the school. Ugh. It's beautiful. This sounds really good. It's, I, a, it's very fun. When I saw you tweet about it, I added it to my to my wish list so I'd keep a tra- keep track of it because that sounds right up my alley. Yes, I highly encourage. I, I could see this <laughs> turning this into like a cheesy CW show, which would make me kind of sad because I feel like it could be a really good, like a little bit better quality. But you know, no shade into the CW, no shade, but like <laughs> better CGI, I guess is where mm-hmm. I'm getting. But yeah, so that is my YA novel, but you also have a YA detective novel, which I would love to hear I about. I do. And I'm not as enamored with this one as I was hoping I would be. Okay. But mostly it's because I didn't know there was going to be more. <laughs> oh. So Maureen Johnson, who I've, I've followed on Twitter for a while, she wrote this book called Truly Devious. Huh. And it takes place at a very famous private school in Vermont uh, for the biggest thinkers, inventors, and artists. It's always the fucking- 
fucking New England boarding schools that have all of these weird ass shit going on with like the preppy rich kids and the one poor kid and the monsters. I love it. It just fucking mm. cracks me up. <laughs> well, and you know, talking about the the kind of like poor kid, she's not poor, but she is sort of like the outsider for this. So this okay. the school was fit was was established for like the big thinkers and whatnot. Okay. And it was established in like the early 20th century by a tycoon who wanted to make a place full of riddles, pathways, and gardens where learning is a game. And so he created this place. And then shortly after the school opened in 1936, his wife and daughter were kidnapped. And the only clue was this mocking riddle listing methods of death signed by truly devious cut to modern day where Stevie, a true crime aficionado, as everyone seems to be nowadays, is going to start her first year at Ellingham Academy. She is sort of out of her element because everyone there is like super smart in specific ways. There's like a YouTube guy that has gone like super famous because of the series that he created. There's like this artist who calls her saxophone Rhoda and plays it off kilter like all the time. There's like, there's a person that's writing a book. There's a person that's like a big, a big dancer. Like there's all these people. And she's like, all I do is I like true crime, but she thinks she was brought there because of her interest in the Ellingham Academy mystery. So she's going to try to figure that out. And I thought that that's what this book was about. And it's not, uh, I think that that is, I, the way when I finish this book, it kind of reminds me of like a way a season might be structured where there's like this overarching mystery of what happened in 1936 but each book might have like a smaller mystery that's happening. Uh, so I was a little disappointed that the story ended up being about a murder that happens or a potential murder that happens in her time at the school. Okay. And not necessarily all about her trying to figure out. And then it turns out this is book one of a, of a series. <laughs> okay. And it makes itself abundantly obvious by the way the book ends very abruptly. So I had fun with it. I think that if any of what I think what that I said is of interest, that you might enjoy it if you want to dive into a, I think there might be three books maybe. In the trying to, I'm trying to find out right now. There are four. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's truly devious, the vanishing stare, the hand on the wall and the box in the woods. Okay. So there you have it. I don't, I mean, I might pick up the other ones and start to read them. Um, I was listening to it in my car. It's an audiobook for me. Um, but I'm not 100% sure I will, but I had fun with it. I think the characters are fun. I think it's, it, it definitely is a, is a page turner. So cool. I think if any of that interests you and you're okay with a Y detective novel, you might really enjoy it. Cool. It's always series. Why books are always at least three or four books. I know. I know. I really thought this was going to be about that that mystery. And then I'm like, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's only like the. The first part. The, yeah. Pivoting wildly, though. I want to hear about what happens when a stripper and a religious protester get stuck together. Yes. Not literally, but... So, this is one of the Panic Fest movies I'm watching early. Um, it officially starts April 28th, but I've been lucky enough to get a few screeners to give me a jump start, because we all know 
I would like that, but I never actually follow through with that jump start. But that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> anyway, this is the film revealer from director Luke Boyce, and it is an apocalypse friendship movie, and it's got really good vibes. And really good central characters. So the film opens on Angie, who is a stripper at a peep show in 1987 Chicago. And so, you know, it's like, you know, a rundown place, but she enjoys dancing. And so there's this, like, fucking killer opening striptease she does to an incredible song by the band Gunship. And it's, Mm. like, one of the best ways I've seen a striptease done, especially in a movie directed by a man, because, you know, there's a movie about a sex worker and directed by a man. You've always been like, oh, God. But, one, Kato Ace, who plays Angie, is actually a sex worker herself, and she choreographed the entire routine. Oh, nice. And also, she has a body like mine, so she's not, like, super skinny and, like, looks like the typical, like, vision of what a, like you know the male assumed stripper would look like Mm -hmm. she looks like a she's gorgeous but she like doesn't look like that and so i loved that because she had a body that wasn't like super skinny but she was really still being really sexy and then the apocalypse happens and in runs a a protester that she has been at odds with for for a long time because she was always like telling um angie that she was going to be damned to hell etc etc but now that the apocalypse is here the two now have to team up together to try to survive and try to escape the uh osmodius who is the judger of all um (laughs) so it's 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 really interesting because it um it starts as like a one room horror movie so this is this was all like this was all conceived and shot during the pandemic so it's very much a pandemic movie without it being like host or like a second screen horror but it's very much shot in very small locations so at one point the two of them are on either side of a wall and they're trying to figure out how to break through the wall or get back to like you know unite and then just when it feels like that single room kind of gimmick is wearing out its welcome they change locations which i really appreciated because okay. like, it kind of felt like all right like this is like there's still a lot left like what else can they do here and they go underneath the building to these tunnels And so that changes the setting and it's really interesting what they do down there. And so I just really liked kind of how they handled it and like the kind of awareness that changing locations was the move. But also um, Kato Ace, like I said, who plays Angie and then Shayna Shruton, who plays Sally, the protester, are like so good together. Like their chemistry is incredible and the acting is really good. So it makes it all the more enjoyable. And it's got some like dark comic moments um, the director describes it as a horror comedy, but I think it's more of a horror with like comedic elements more than a direct horror comedy, if that makes sense. Like okay. I know it's like a fine line, but um, very Evil Dead, very 80s, very much like the neon colors and like synth music. But I, it's mm, really, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's just like a fun movie. And also, I also loved in the movie, um, the Angie has a, like a speech where she goes like, I'm not ashamed of being a sex worker. Like I don't, I like what I do. Like I have no problem with it. And you should just like, leave me the fuck alone. Which is another, another great thing to see in a movie about a sex worker, not being like, Oh, the downtrodden stripper who just like needs to get by, but she like has agency, which is, which was really cool. 
So, like, that alone I was really into and how they handled her character. But it's a lot of fun. So, like, if you're going to Panic Fest or if you're not sure yet, this is a movie I would definitely check out. It's fun. It's funny. It's cool looking. It's just, like, a good vibe. It's just a good time. Yeah, I'm excited to see it at Panic Fest for sure. Uh, I've been I've heard rumblings about it before, and so I'm really glad to hear that it uh that it's good. I'm mm-hmm. excited. Yes. There's gonna be some good movies at Panic Fest, y'all. There are. There are definitely gonna be some good movies at Panic Fest. And I'm excited to watch some of the ones I haven't seen yet. Um, Me too. So <laughs> what did we watch for full our full horror series <laughs> this week? Uh, so, you know, when you look up images for this movie and you see this monster that has like a penis sticking out of its head, I thought we were going to be getting that with Rawhead Rex. Maybe? I can't quite tell in this poster. I can't tell either. Anyway. But I honestly thought we were getting like a monster with a penis head. And, um, instead we get, um, what I kind of call like, um, Kongzilla, because he looks sort of like someone were to have mated Godzilla and King Kong and made a animal outfit out of him. Yes. And this is so this is my biggest problem with this movie. I think this movie. So one, this movie was not as silly as I thought. Like It's silly, but it's not as ridiculous as I expected. Um, I expect like full on cheese and like there's a lot of cheese, but not as much mm. as I thought. There's some really interesting things going on here, but this monster design takes me the fuck out of it. Because, like, it just is so, I don't, it's so silly. Like, I say it's not silly, but, like, this character design is just so silly and, like, does not fit the tone of anything. So, like, when there are all of these, like, wispy Irish folk are talking about, like, Jesus and folklore, then this fucking thing pops out. You're like, wait, this is like two different movies. Like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah, and so it's it takes place in Ireland, and it's this Irish village that has this giant penis statue. Like, it's not a penis, but it's basically a giant erection coming that out is- of the ground that everyone wants to tear down. And when they tear down said penis statue, the monster comes out and starts killing. Um, I yeah, I agree with you. There are some things in here that like it feels like it might be tackling some more interesting and in-depth or like complicated things because it talks about how, you know, the churches are built on pagan lands. And it, it's something that really did happen where when Christianity came in and they wanted to convert everyone, they basically tore down all of the like pagan religious sites and built churches on them. And well, we saw this. We saw this with the Borderlands I too. I was going to say the same thing. Like, there's even shots in this that remind me of the Borderlands with like the church, the ransacked church. But mm-hmm. it is very much that structure of going a guy coming to this small town to investigate something, and then he gets kind of sucked into this wild ride with a creature that was buried underneath the church. Yeah, and you know, when you think of like, because Clive Barker wrote this, and it's based on one of his short stories. And when you think of Clive Barker's language, it's usually very lyrical. Like, I'm thinking to an episode that is going to come out soon that we talk about about Candyman, where it's like the language is very lyrical and beautiful. And then you have conversations in here where the main character tells his wife, you have very dirty eyes. Anybody tell you that? And the response is practically everybody. 
Oh, I love that couple, though, because I feel like a lot of couples in horror are, like, always angry, and they were, like, Mm. sexy a little bit. And I kind of loved, like, their weird vibe, like, their weird, sexy, like, flirty, weird vibe. I was like, we don't get enough of this in horror movies, like, sexy, flirty couples, like, for the entire movie. And that was just, again, that's very Clive Barker, like... Mm-hmm. intimacy no matter the subject matter he's very interested in intimacy between people and between couples there's some kind of funny environmental things going on in this there's there's like a, so there's a police station and there's a sign i don't know if you noticed this in the police station of a slayed sheep that says don't let your dogs do this <laughs> i did not see that it's like this giant sign behind them when they're talking and it's like a dead sheep and it's literally says don't let your dogs do this Okay. (laughs) And then at one point, the monster's just peeing on a priest to baptize him. Yeah, that was weird. Um, Baptism by urine. mm -hmm. Sounds like a fun Friday night. Great. Uh, There's the incredible stained glass where the red eyes make little lasers onto the priest. (laughs) And I was like, that's incredible. And I need to to tell everyone that he's a virgin. I was like, what? Okay, great. Sounds good. And then his character was absolutely bad shit. I feel like he was acting on another level that this movie oh. was not at at certain points. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm like, where? No one else is matching this energy. And like, you are just on another movie set, I feel like. Which was funny. Yeah. But weird. <laughs> I mean, whoever was playing uh, Rawhead definitely had that energy, though. Uh, I, I think. There's what one of my favorite parts is that he kills someone. I don't remember who it is, but I just have a note that he's just dragging the bottom body with him everywhere like it's a toy. Yes! Like he just walks and he's just dragging this poor body oh, throughout the forest that? for like scene upon scene. And it, it's <laughs> like, okay, he's like a dog with his toy. It's it's kind of cute. Yeah, the all the hands and the feet he throws. <laughs> kills a kid mm-hmm. he kills the kid right mm-hmm. he kills the mm-hmm. kid which mm-hmm. look i love a horror movie that'll kill a kid mm-hmm. and like ew you, you hear it too it's fucked up you don't see it but you hear it which is almost worse um and there's like multiple massacres in this movie there's two massacres in this film and i'm like good lord the carnage is real in this <laughs> yeah. movie like that entire village is just like disemboweled basically at the end uh, i know it's it's fantastic it's, it's really just, i mean cool. it's I mean, 1986 it's like, you know just murder murder death kill i, I love it the first massacre he pulls a girl out of a camper window and her shirt miraculously is ripped off and she's just topless and i was like i don't is that not how that happens it, it just it felt like they were trying to make a <laughs> clive barker movie but like also like an 80s creature feature and they didn't know how to marry the two so it felt like two nor the budget yeah and i feel like those two movies smashed together without much cohesion Mm -hmm. i still have fun watching it though like i'm saying all this stuff and it's a it's a fun movie and like it's a lot of fun but not stupid it's like i don't think it's stupid i think it's just silly Mm -hmm. so it sounds about right yeah that's yeah but uh totally totally different than a lot of films we've watched recently yeah full core monsters and folk are like trees or spirits or like bodies of water and this one it's just a, a man that looks like a gorilla and godzilla and has like red eyes but hey i welcome it i accept it here for it here for it 
But uh, we are switching tones again with uh, next week's film. Terry, what are we watching? We are watching 2017's Piwacket, written and directed by Adam McDonald, who also did Backcountry, Backcountry, and um, was involved with the Slasher uh, series. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we're revisiting Pie Wacket. I'm revisiting Pie Wacket. I'm excited to see if I change my mind. Uh, yeah, because uh, I mean, I was yeah, I was surprised you said you, you didn't necessarily care for it before, and I remember liking it. So I'm I'm curious to see what happens. See what week. happens. Yes, fingers crossed. But who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? On Monday, we are chatting with the editor of the Book of Queer Saints and writer Mae Murray. And we are talking about the absolutely batshit crazy uh, 1976 film Grizzly, a.k.a. Jaws, but in the woods. Jaws, but in the woods. And somehow shorter and longer at the same time. Uh Uh-huh. And a lot of misogyny. (laughs) A lot of misogyny. Yeah. Wild, wild movie. Anyway, everyone, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Have you watched or read anything that we talked about this week? Do you have anything that we should be talking about, reading or watching? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm by Kaylee Dreadful. Almost forgot to do my at. Here we are. <laughs> and also don't forget to follow the podcast at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want a recommendation from Mary Beth, not a review of you by Mary Beth, but a recommendation for a found footage horror film, make sure you're giving us a review on, on iTunes. Listen, we have 93 reviews in America. I can't see everywhere else, but in America, we have 93. Can we get to 100? Please? Please. Thank you, Derek Power, for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. Ay. Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> oh, won't somebody please think of the children? ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. 
ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.